All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, before we jump into Jonah chapter 4, if we could pray together, um, that would be great. Let's pray. Father, we pause before we speak to you, for you are God. God, may you have a rightful place in our hearts and in our lives, even the way that we speak to you. May we be people who are also known who listen to you. That God, you tell us in your word that you're in heaven and we're on earth, so let your words be few. God, I pray you would reveal, I pray that you would convict and encourage whatever's necessary to make us more like Jesus. And I pray that you would put in us, those of us who call ourselves followers of you, your burdens, like the burden that you have for those who do not know you, the love that you have for people, the desire to see people come to surrender and become followers of Christ. God, may that consume us. God, help us become more and more like you. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would keep my agendas and my opinions to myself, and may only your truth come forth. Anything that's not of you, I pray we forget it. Keep us humble and teachable to receive. It's easy to jump into what we think we already know. God, we want you to reveal truth that we might know you better. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody who agrees says, amen. amen. Kind of a bummer of an ending, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You said, I go, hey, where's the happy ending? Like, Jonah's going to, he finally gets it, and he goes to the, the other gnomes, and he tells them all about how great the gardener is. And, and yet, if you read the end, of, the end of Jonah, it pretty much ends just like that. There's really no quote-unquote ending it's almost like a to be continued, but there's no Jonah part two. We don't get to see what Jonah thought when this was over. We don't get to see if he, if he and God were good. It doesn't, see, it doesn't say that he accepted what God said and all of a sudden he was filled with a burden and a passion for the people of Nineveh and went and ministered to them. It doesn't say anything. It just kind of leaves us with this. With this question in verse 11 of chapter 4, and should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and there's also much cattle, question mark, the end. That's it. You hear God saying, shouldn't I have pity on them? You go back to the beginning of the chapter. In, in verse 1, it says, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish 
Listen, for I knew that you are a gracious and I'm sorry, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Guys, did you just hear what he accused Joan or God of, of being as if it's a negative? Listen to it again. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God. The only person that can get angry with that is the person who actually forgot that they need the grace and mercy of God. And you know who I believe is most susceptible to this? Christians. That we can get so used to, hey, I'm God's chosen and we are. I'm God's kids and we are. But when we take those titles and those identities of who we really are and we separate them away from the grace and mercy of God, we become entitled. And we start looking at others and those that we don't agree with and those that we're angry with. I'm not sure if you noticed, but in our nation in the last some years, not that many, but especially in the last few, we kind of argue about everything. We have our cause. And if people don't agree with your cause, they're completely gone and evil. Anybody watch the, uh, the Super Bowl and you, uh, my favorite commercial? And I actually thought all of them were kind of boring this year, but my favorite one this time was the Planters commercial, the Planters Mixed Nuts commercial. Do you remember that one? And pretty much it's kind of like, uh, I don't know the actors' names, I don't, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, some, what's... I'm perfect. Now we know. I didn't hear it, but thank you. That's who it is. So you, you all know. I, I won't remember it even if you did tell me, but thank you. So it's mixed nuts, and one, one of the guys eats it one at a time. And he's like, Why do you eat one at a time? They're mixed. You should eat, eat them at the same time. And then there's this argument. And then they put it online so that people can have an opinion. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of seconds, uh, the place where they are, they're arguing about it. Then outside, there's these fights and there's these signs. And one of them says something like, Who would have thought that? Americans could fight over things that seem non-essential. Something along the lines. And I thought, poignant. That is our culture today. It's us against them rather than us as followers of Jesus for them. Friends, our battle is not against the world. Our battle is for them. Like, we should desire people to come to Jesus. Guys, when Jonah sits there and goes, I knew you would be gracious and merciful. All the while, forgetting he just spent a few days in a stinking fish because he rebelled. And that God appointed that fish to swallow him while he's in the ocean because he was showing grace and mercy toward Jonah. And then he made that fish go and vomit him up on the land so he doesn't die in the fish. That's grace and mercy. Then he sends him again by his grace and mercy to what he was supposed to do before. There's this massive repentance of a whole nation and he's ticked. Because how could God actually love the people that I hate? You know what's wrong with that question? At some point, we actually start to believe that we're the standard. I'm the standard of who's good and who's bad. And until followers of Jesus, we remember that the only thing that we deserve is hell. That is the only thing that in and of myself that I deserve, I deserve hell. Eternal separation from God. 
But by his grace and his mercy, he reconciled me to himself. He reconciles those of you who come to Christ. He reconciled you to himself. Those of you who haven't, he desires to reconcile you to himself all by his grace. And Jonah got upset about that. I knew you were gracious and merciful, that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that you relent from disaster. I knew you would do this. How dare you, God, do whatever you want with whatever you've made. Guys, do you see how we get a little bit arrogant? Guys, think about it. You don't tell your body to work. You don't sit there and go, inhale, exhale. Can you imagine if that's your existence every day? Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. It's like, well, that wouldn't be so bad. How would you sleep? You put your headphones in, okay. But that's all you're telling your body to do. How do you tell it to move at the same time? Right arm, move. Right, this letter, A. Right, fingers, move. Digestion, work, blink. Brain, hopefully turn on. Like we just try to get our body work. And yet at some point we sit there and go, no, this is my body. I can do whatever I want. And God's sitting there going, I made you. That you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the very image of God. And yet we decide who we can love and who we can hate. We could look at Jonah and say, I can never, I can't believe that he would actually be like this. But aren't we like him just a little bit? And maybe for some, a lot. And maybe it's seasons or maybe situations that pop up and we all of a sudden we start to look more and more like this. It's so easy to live in an us versus them, but isn't it weird that God is always on your side and never on theirs? That in my mind, God's always agreeing with me. That's arrogance. Guys, if the only time, I think about it, if I read the Bible, which is kind of this thing I'm, I made sure that this is what I do on a daily basis, just spend time with Jesus and not to get more information. I don't really want to debate theology and make sure I know every detail. I just want to know God better. I just want to love Jesus more. I want him to speak into my life. But friends, if you read this and you're never convicted by what it is that God says, then you're the standard. And that's arrogance. Friends, we have to take the whole counsel of God from cover to cover. Apply it appropriately to how it is that God wrote it and the purposes for what he wrote it. But apply it. And when I disagree with the scriptures, guess who wins? The scriptures do. In this passage, I can, under, I, can, I can relate with why Jonah's upset because of all the things that the people of Nineveh were guilty of. But not all of the people were guilty of those specific things. That there were some who were part of the people of Nineveh who were probably very gracious and very loving and not every single one of them were absolutely horrible. And yet God desired to show pity on them. So what's Jonah do? He pouts. He pouts. He goes off on his own. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. You know what that's called? Grace. God didn't have to give him a plant that would give him shade. He appointed a plant just like he appointed a fish. He appoints a plant. That's his grace. And isn't it weird that here Jonah sure is appreciative of God's grace when it's directed to him 
So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the grace of God, because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Another translation asked that question, is it right for you to be angry? Like, honestly, right now, you feel justified in being angry. And you're angry about the plant that had nothing to do with you, but was my gracious gift, which means God could say this, I wanted to give it to you. And if I want to take it away, I can, but you got to trust me, I'm still great and good in the process. Friends, if the only time that I can worship and celebrate Jesus is in the times where it seems like victory is mine, like all the circumstances are in line and things are perfect, guys, if that's the only time I'm worshiping Jesus, is it Jesus I'm really worshiping? Or, is I, or am I worshiping comfortable Jesus? But it's when the, the junk happens that I can still go to God and go, okay, God, I don't like this, but I still trust you. Help me trust you more. Guys, that's when I know that it's a real relationship with God, that no matter what circumstances come, I believe that God is great, and I believe that he's good, and he never changes from that. The circumstances in life do not change the character of God, but our outlook and our perspective on the circumstances should be changed by who God is and who he has called us to be. This making sense? So as followers of Jesus, you know how we should be praying? Guys, it breaks my heart that people in the world are oppressed. That there are now more slaves than ever. Around the world, there are more slaves than ever. And as followers of Jesus, you know how we should pray? We should pray that those who are oppressed would be freed. And that those who are oppressed and don't know Christ would come to Christ. And we should also pray for the oppressor that they would come to the point of surrendering to Christ. And this is where I go, no, 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 I would never do that. Those who would oppress others should never get, hold on for just a second. Do you realize that one of the greatest oppressors of the church became one of its greatest champions? Do you realize that in the book of Acts, chapter eight, at the end of chapter seven, Stephen became the first martyr. What's that? What's a martyr? Person who dies because they love Jesus, right? Their life is taken from them simply because they're a follower of Christ. Do you realize there are more martyrs today every year than ever be, than before? Then people are losing their lives because they're followers of Christ. And here's Saul, also Paul. It's not like he went from Saul to becoming Paul. It's the same name, just different, different languages. But Saul, we see him. And while they're chucking stones at Stephen, religious leaders are just throwing rocks at him until he dies... They made sure that they gave the coats of those who were throwing the rocks. Paul kind of took care of them. And he approved of his death. And then Paul was given authority to go into houses and arrest men and women who were followers of, quote unquote, the way. And to drag them off into jail. You ever stop to think, what if, what if you were in your house, Paul comes running and takes your mom and your dad. Your parents aren't there, and you're just left there in the house just to drag them off because they love Jesus. He was trying to destroy the church. 
And then Jesus met him. And Jesus humbled him. And Paul surrendered to Christ. And he still said things, you know of my former life. You know that I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy the church. But when God... And friends, that phrase, but when God, that always ushers in the miraculous. And now we know Paul, friends, we've been reading the letters of Paul for the last couple thousand years, divinely inspired, inspired by God to speak into our lives that this is how we should look when we're followers of Christ. Guys, this same Paul who hated Christ, hated Christians, is the same one in Philippians. He's writing to a bunch of Christians in this little church in Philippi. He says, for me to live as Christ and to die, that's even better. It's like, what? Was he depressed? Guys, the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians is known as the letter of joy. Guys, can you think, of, just think through this. He's under house arrest or he's in prison, wherever he's at in this, when he's writing letters, but he's, he's in prison. Say he's arrested. And he's writing this letter to other Christians on how to be joyful while he's arrested and he says, the whole Praetorian Guard knows why I'm here. The Praetorian Guard's kind of like the Roman seals of the day. They had massive influence in the Roman Empire. He says, they all know. So can you imagine as Paul is sitting there writing a letter, and maybe he's got a, a Praetorian Guard who's guarding him, in the room with him. And then the next day, it's someone else's job, and they get outside going, who's doing it? He's like, I'm not doing it. He wouldn't shut up yesterday about Jesus. So they rock, paper, scissor it like Roman guard style. And they go for it. It's like, oh, crud. Okay, I'm telling you guys, if he talks about Jesus' day, I'm going to kill him. Do it. I don't care. Can you imagine he goes in, warns him, Paul, if you talk about Jesus today, I'm going to kill you. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. You promise? You promise that if I talk about Jesus, you're going to kill me? I promise. Okay. Let me tell you about Jesus. Why? Because for him to live was Christ and to die was Cain. So in that moment, who was in prison, Paul or the guard? The guard. Guys, the oppressor became the oppressed because he surrendered to Christ when God showed up. It is such this culture of us versus them. And followers of Jesus, a lot of times it looks no different in the church. And it's supposed to be. Jesus says that they will know that you are my disciples by what? By how you have love for one another. And guys, don't, don't look at me and go, you must have it all. I don't have it figured out. I still get frustrated. I still get upset. Man, I want to be like Jesus. I want to make sure that my life is honoring to him and impacting others. Because I believe that people need to know Jesus. But I can get so worked up just like everyone else. But it's about, usually about my agenda stuff. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't ever want to forget about the amazing grace and mercy of God because I need it. I don't want to forget about the fact that God is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. I need that. To get frustrated and angry about that, that God would show pity on other people, really reveals more about us. And that makes us angry. See, in Romans chapter 10, Paul's writing this letter. This is the great oppressor of the church when it first started. And starting in verse 9, we're going to go down through, well, maybe around verse 17. 
It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So last night when I said, if you want to surrender to Christ, it really comes from this verse. That word confess, it's like, so just say that he's Lord, Jesus is Lord. That's not what that word confess means. When you look up that word confess, what it actually means is that you say something in such a way that your life will follow what you just stated. And that word Lord means master. So it's not just say these words, recite these words, and you're good. You get your fire insurance policy, just stick it in a fireproof safe so you can present it to Jesus one day. That's not what that word means. It means you can see from my life, the way that I live, that Jesus is my Lord. I've confessed him as Lord, and I'm so convinced that he's master. I give up my rights and take on his life. He says, when you confess, you'll be saved. Guys, that's amazing. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Even that person that you like, even that person that you don't. And I gotta be honest, and I hope this isn't horribly discouraging. I'll just use myself. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's just me. I know there are people that don't like me. I know there are because I'm human. Because I know I've messed up and said stupid things and maybe I don't even know that I did and maybe other times I just did it because I was ticked. I know and I don't know, I don't know everyone but I'm hoping it's not like the whole, well, if it's the whole camp, I'm so sorry I bugged you. But it's like I know we just irritate one another but what do we do with that? And it's so easy to go, no, everyone likes me and God likes me until you have to pull back and go, wait, the way that you might feel about someone else is how someone else might feel about you. So you need to, I need to, we need to be thankful for the grace and mercy of God who desires all people to be saved from all walks of life. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And here's the danger, friends. When you hear the word preach, I'm going to guess that the majority of people in here who say, I'm not a preacher, you don't apply this passage to you now. Okay, so you know what the word preach there means? It means to herald something. It's just to proclaim this good news. There are those who have a spiritual gift of preaching, but it doesn't mean that they're the only ones who can preach. You can go out and talk. It's not preaching. It's always behind a pulpit. I can herald good news to anyone that I come across. I can, I can mention things to people. And friends, I don't have a spiritual gift of evangelism, and some of you do. Some of you, it's like, I just got to tell everyone and everything about Jesus. Like you would look at, hey, music stand, do you know Christ? And you'll walk over to that. It's like, any, you look at a puppy, do you know the Lord? It's like, you just want to talk about Jesus wherever you go. That's a spiritual gift. But it doesn't mean that the rest of us who don't have that spiritual gift are not called to go. We're all called to go and make disciples, not break it down to the parts that we're comfortable with. All of us. And so friends, on behalf of 
us older guys. And I feel like it's happened for decades. We've kind of turned, quote unquote, church into the thing that you come to on a Sunday morning. And I've been guilty of it for a long time. Show up. You don't have to say anything to your friend about Jesus. Just show up and the person up front will tell them all, all about Jesus. You don't have to do it because we know that it's uncomfortable. And when we do that to you, we are taking away the joy that comes with getting to, to see someone come to Jesus because you told them. The Holy Spirit is in you. If, you have a, if you're a follower of Christ, he is in you, empowering you to do incredible work. And worship gatherings and youth group settings, you know what those are for? Let's come together and celebrate what God's been doing through all of us all week. We're all out there making disciples. So when, you ever heard, have you heard of COVID? I'm <laughs> just joking. When it all started and people are like freaking out, like what do we do? And now it's kind of weird when you don't know how to talk to people. It's like we used to know we could handshake or high five or Christian front hug or Christian safe side hug. It's like we knew what to do, but now we don't know what to do. You ever walk up to someone going, are they okay to handshake? But you don't ask. I want to make a shirt. It's like one, handshake, two, knuckle bump. And it's like handshake, knuckle bump. They know, this is, now I know how I can interact with you. Guys, we've missed something. We've lost something because we're not quite sure how to interact. But I started hanging out with these guys just for a year. It's called, we called it a D group. I, we committed to a year. Then after the year, they're all going to find three to five guys and do the same thing that I did with them. And then I found three other, five, four other guys, and we're going to do it for another year. But one of the questions that we have to answer is, how did you do it bringing Jesus up this week? And it's with a stranger or it could be a person you, that you talk to about every, every week. I was like, God, how, I, how do I do this? Because I'm, I'm pretty much a great introvert. I love people, but I love being alone. Some of you this morning, you saw me eating by myself. You invited me to your table, and I was just going to eat, eat really quick, so I hope you weren't offended, but I'm fine. Like, people see me eating by myself like, oh, poor Brian. He's got no friends. <laughs> Realize when I'm sitting by myself, I'm like, I'm good. I'm not even thinking I don't have friends. I, I have a few, but I, I'm not thinking that. It's just, I'm very comfortable with that. But I don't want to say, oh, and I can get pretty shy on some things, but I don't want, hey, I'm kind of shy to make me disobedient to the things that God has called me to do, to go make disciples. So we all of a sudden, we base how we apply the Great Commission, we base it, on, we base it based on our personality. So I was like, God, I want to have boldness. Let me be bold. Like, how could I start conversations with people, random people? I can't do it with people I work with. I work at a church, and hopefully everyone I work with knows Christ. Can you imagine? I just, none of them do. That'd be a really bad church to be part of. So I'm like, I'm going to meet people that I don't know. So I started doing these prayer walks just because there was nothing to do during COVID, and you could be outside and without a mask. We're just going, and, and I'd see a random person, and so they'd start this way. Oh, and the first time freaked me out. But I will go walking up, and as I walk, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm on, a, I'm on a prayer walk. Can I pray for you while I'm walking? Just to see where it would go. And some people, and I have yet to have someone just give me the finger. I have, no one's cussed me out. No one's gotten angry. And it might, maybe it's because I'm a pretty big guy, but no one's gotten mad about the question. But when they say, oh, world peace, I'm like, I don't, I don't think you want me to do that, but Okay. I remember walking along and I saw this little black grandma walking along the street. And I, in my head, I was like, catch her. I was like, catch up to her. I'm like, so I catch up to her. 
And I, I, I get kind of far from her and I go, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm on a prayer walk. Can I pray for you about anything? And she goes, could you pray for my grandson that he would be healed? I said, could I walk with you so I can hear more of your story? She says, of course. I had so much fun getting to walk with this little, this little black grandma. And I'm not, and I'm honky white cracker, huge guy. Like there's, <laughs> I just met her. Can you imagine? I, I didn't, and I didn't scare. I didn't run up, go boo. Hey, I didn't do that. I just got up close and hey, I know you're walking. Hey, is there something I could pray for? I'm a Christian. And when she said, that, I said, can I walk these? Well, of course. And so I get closer and she just starts telling me the story. I'm getting to hear her. I mean, she's just, pour, I just met her. I don't know her name. She doesn't even know mine yet. And she's just pouring out her heart. And so I thought, okay, now I'm going to ask the same question. I was going to ask the next question. I started to ask, do you, have, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Before I could get out, she goes, and I'm a believer. And part of me went, dang it. Because I want to be like, I get to, lead him to, I get to lead her to Christ. And of course, I got past that really quick. I said, you are? I said, are you part of a church? She goes, yeah, I'm part of that church down the street. And I knew which one it was. I was like, I'm so glad. Her grandson's name is Tony. That's all I remember. And I know how I pray that he's healed, but I don't know. I've never seen her, seen her again. Guys, you could be sitting at a meal, and the server comes up, and you can say, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our meal. Could we pray for you while we pray for our meal? Get the conversation going to see where it is that God takes it. And then if it opens, if God continues to open the door, keep going through it. Why? Church, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. I think it was yesterday. We sang part of a, we sang part of a song. I think it's Hosanna. And it says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. It doesn't rhyme, but, <laughs> but I love the words. I don't want to live my life and have the things that naturally break my heart, break my heart. I want God to change me so much so that what breaks his heart breaks mine. And then to, to proclaim to the God of the universe, everything I am for your kingdom's cause, not my church's name, but your kingdom's cause, then you've entered into life. Like you're given eternal life and then you're living. It's like, oh my gosh. You surrender to Christ, he gives you new life. And you continue to move forward loving God, loving people, making disciples. You're living the life that he gave you. Christians, and I think it's high time that we stop trying to entertain each other constantly and get back to the mission. This is a humbling statistic. A pastor by the name of J.D. Greer, he made this statement. He said, there's, an, there's a statistic out, 90% of Christians in America have never shared their faith with anyone outside their family. 90%. And followers of Christ, we wonder why things look the way they do. What if it's on us? We forgot to go make disciples. We've decided who should hear the gospel and who shouldn't. But friends, you can do this. You can do this. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, you can do this now. How do I know? 
Because God loves to use the teenager. Prove it. David, when he jacked up Goliath, was a teenager. Can you imagine? He shows up to bring food and stuff for his brothers, and he sees this nine-foot giant come walking out, making fun of the armies of the Lord, making fun of God. He's like, who's this guy? I'll jack him up, which sounds like a teenager. It's like, I think all, most teenagers are like, I could do it. I could do it. You see the top of this building? Jump off it on my skateboard. I could do it. He's like, nothing's going to happen to me. But he's like, no, I'll, I'll take him on. And then Saul hears about it, the king who's not willing to go fight, but allows a 15-year-old kid to go do it. Mm, that's something different. Okay, but here's, yeah, let me give you my armor. A grown man, let me give you my armor. And so you imagine, and, and David's small and ready. That's what the scriptures say about him. He's not this tall guy. And Saul was taller, head taller than everybody else. So you imagine this, he's just draped in this armor. He's just like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> this doesn't fit. He's like, I can't fight like this. So he takes it all off, goes out there with what? A sling. Picks up five rocks. Ding! Actually, it's not that one. <laughs> Guys, think about it, he's a shepherd. He's got to be bored. And so all day, he's just like using a sling. Because really, the sheep, you just make sure they don't go off too far. They get to eat. You stand around. Make sure nothing eats them. So all day, spam, spam. So he's getting good at this. Guys, so those who are masters at this, this kind of sling, little pouch, two leather strips, you go, you go fling and then you let one go, boom, that, that rock takes off. It's like, it's like shooting a gun. He's like, I got this. And he goes out and he takes, and he gets made fun of for it by the giant. He's like, really? Bring out a little boy? And what's David say? I'm going to cut off your head today. I can say, I have never said that to anyone in my life. Can you imagine getting in an argument and saying, okay, do not, you're talking trash? Today I'm going to cut off your head. That, you might need to see some people to talk through some stuff. But he's in this battle, so it's, he, it's just the two of them. Bam! Rock hits him in the, in the forehead. Sinks in. Goliath drops to the ground. David goes and takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head. Right? It's like, whenever, if anyone ever says the Bible's boring, it's because they've never read it. All they've done is listen to the dude who writes a blog in his parents' basement and talks about the Bible and has never read it. Friends, here, it blows my mind. Can you imagine? And then he took the head home. That's a little sadistic, but he did it. Can you imagine that you get home? Mom's like, hey, David, how was your day? How are, the, how, are the boy, how are your brothers? They're great. How was your day? It was pretty good. What'd you do? I don't want to tell you. What's in the bag? You definitely don't want to see that. Now, do not, don't twist that part of the Bible and go, I love what the speaker said the last day. I know someone that I need to apply that to. That's not what that verse, that's not what this means. And a lot of times we go, oh, I could be David. No, no, no. Let's let Jesus be that character. Goliath is like sin. We're like the Israelite army. And Jesus is the one who comes and saves it all. But he, he calls a teenager at that time to do it. And when God decides to come as a person, he picks the womb of a teenage girl. Friends, there's nothing stopping you right now 
except you from impacting your friends and those who are older with the gospel. But in order for you to share the gospel, you actually need to know what it is. How do you know what it is? <clears throat> we get our faces back in the book. We spend time with Jesus in it. Stop looking for the quick fix Christianity. There's no microwave theology. There's no microwave Christianity. It's like a slow cooker. Just walk with Jesus. But we got to know what this book says. I'm convinced that we're in the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of Christendom in this nation. And yet we have more Bibles, more apps, more programs, more websites, more resources that we could be spending time with God, and yet we find ourselves too busy. Why? Because we pull this out, and we scroll, and we double tap, and we say, I like this video, and I like this picture. This is what makes us busy. All the while, we think what we know what we believe, and we think that we know that we have faith, and yet we don't know who or what we have faith in. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Think about it. God may say to you, tomorrow, I want you to be involved in the miraculous work in that person's life. I want to do that with you. Does that get you at all? Is anyone here got a couple more minutes. Um, is anyone here like a words of affirmation person? Like encouraging words are really important to you. Anybody like that? They are to me, excuse me. They are to me. And I used to be the guy, I don't know if I said this or not. I used to have Instagram, but I would take the, like as a pastor, I would take the picture from the back of the room, wherever, wherever I was speaking, I would take it from the back of the room at an angle so that it looked like there's thousands of people, but there were like seven. And I make sure that the lights are... And I always get that person who's got their hands up in worship and it's like, oh, God's working. And I'll usually, and I would post something like, humbled to be here. Or I take a picture of a worship gathering that's ours and I go, oh, God is really moving because it looks full. And really what it meant was God's, maybe God is or he isn't, but it, I just like the fact that the room was full. And I always equated that with God's really working. And then you look at what Jesus says, where two or more have gathered, there I am in their midst. So maybe Jesus is less concerned with the number of people who are in a worship gathering. Because two, that's the presence. But I would take the pictures. Why? Because I, if I could make a hundred likes, oh, then I knew I was, I was doing something important. My, like what I did was validated. Not only what I did, but who I was was validated. And then I would compare myself with other preachers and pastors who are out doing things, and they're actually at the big things. And it made me what? Jealous. So I remember I was having a time with the Lord, and this was a while ago. This may be like six years ago now. And at the end of Romans chapter 2, it says something like this, that God will give you his praises. And I was like, what? No way. And then this thought came, and I'm going to tone it down a little bit just because the audience that's here, but it was something along the lines, I'm never forgetting it, I'm not going to say the exact words, but it was as if God was saying, you need to stop using my people for your quick fix of pleasure. And I went, and I ran in my, where my wife was, I said, God just said this, I feel like God said this, and I ran back in and I, I deleted my Instagram account, and 
And some of you sit there and go, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that or TikTok or whatever the new one's out. I don't know what they are now. My mind still works. My heart still beats. My brain's still functioning. And I'm free. Like, it's awesome. But for the longest time, I just put that in there because I needed encouragement. It wasn't encouragement, it was affirmation. Like, I'm, I know I've made it when people acknowledge that I've made it. And so I've been free, but I, I still appreciate words of encouragement. I remember I told that to somebody yesterday. And uh, a couple minutes later, no joke, this young lady who was in my youth group over 20 years ago, I haven't talked to her for 10 or texted or anything, 10 or 12. She texts me and she goes, I was going through my Bible and I'm getting ready to lead a women's Bible study tomorrow. And I saw the notes that I took when I was a high schooler, when you were my youth pastor. And I just want to, th- I just want to thank you for the impact. And I'm like, what? Like out of the blue. And I go, God, I love when you do this rather than me trying to force it. That's the encouragement. And I just sat there. I was like, so she's going to go and talk to a bunch of women about Jesus and she's just thankful for some little kind of impact that I got to have on her. God, I, I don't understand how you do what you do, but I am so thankful to be part of your purpose. Friends, I want to invite you if you're not. First of all, first of all I want to invite you to know Christ. There's no life outside of him. You're just living. And for those of you who do know Christ, all ages in the room, wherever you're from, engage the Great Commission. May we be known as followers of Christ who desire for the world to know Jesus. Friends, you want to see your home change and they don't know Christ? Share Jesus. Your neighborhood? Share Jesus. Guys, it's the gospel that changes cultures and societies. You want to see things change around you? Present the gospel. Let's get back into the mission that God actually called his church to be part of. Let's get into it. Because when you see someone come to Christ and become a disciple who goes out and makes disciples, not just a person who gets saved. I'm talking about the process. You become a disciple, and then that person grows, and they they become disciple makers. Oh, it's awesome. And every single one of us are invited to that. So I'll close with this statement that Jesus made before he ascended. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That word go means keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Go make disciples, followers, apprentices. Baptize those disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And catch this. This is how he finishes it. He's like, the whole world? God, you know how big that is? And he goes, yeah. And I, Jesus looks and he goes, I will be with you to the very end of the age. The one who measures the universe with the span of his hand, the one who breathed out every star, the one who exists outside of time and yet engages inside of time with us. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, limitless in everything. 
That God says, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Friends, he doesn't ask us to do it for him. He doesn't ask us to live for him. He asks us to live with him and by him, to serve with him and for him. Yes, with, by, for, all of it. But he's with us as we go with him. That means, friends, we are unstoppable. Jesus said, hey, this church I'm going to build, the gates of hell can't withstand the church. The church is not a building. It's not an event. The word church, this is what it means. It's a gathering of people brought together to fulfill the purpose. That's what the ecclesia means. A gathering of people brought together to fulfill the purpose. The gates of hell cannot withstand the church. Gates, those are defensive weapons. Those are defensive, not offensive weapons. I've never seen anyone go, you want to fight? Get a gate. I got a gate. You want some of this? I've never seen that. Let's storm the gates. Let's go after people that don't know Jesus. We can do this. Why? Because we're great? No, because God in us is great. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to say it again. Again, you do not have to stand up. You don't. There is no pressure. This is not ego. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you call out to him, he says, you'll be saved. And when you do, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you to lead, to guide, to counsel, to convict, to encourage, to help you. But you're saved. You say, I want to follow Christ. He's like, awesome. Let me, let me give you salvation. You're seen before God as holy, as if you never sinned. But if you would remember that on February 27, 2022, I, that's when I surrendered. Or sometime this weekend, I remember I stood because this is the weekend that I surrendered to Christ. If you did or want to surrender to Jesus this morning, would you stand just so we can celebrate with you? Fantastic. <laughs> You've never done it. And I know it's kind of freaky to stand. I get it. But realize the standing didn't do it. This is all God's work. And some of you guys stood up last night and said, I got to come back home. Some were broken. For those who are standing, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, let me just ask you a couple questions. By standing, are you saying that you, that you want to declare that Jesus is Lord of your life? There you go. By standing, are you saying that you believe that he died on the cross and came back from the dead? then welcome to the family. That's all it is. Like, you are part of the family of God. And now, followers of Jesus, I ask us all the same question now. If you're saying, Jesus, I want to give myself to you, not for salvation, but for your purposes, to fulfill your great commission to go make disciples. And maybe you're saying, I'm already doing it. Good. Every day we should make the recommitment to it. Every day we're going back, God, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Friends, if you're all in for the purposes of God, would you stand up? You want to be used by God to impact your friends, your family, your neighborhoods, this city, your, your city, our nation, the world. If you're saying, I'm all in. And if you're not, stay seated. I respect you more for that than lying. But we're in, right? We just pray for boldness. God, please give us boldness. Can I pray for us? Think about it. Jesus started with 12. There have been millions and millions and millions since he ascended. Your neighborhoods and your schools and your cities are going to get jacked up for Jesus if you're serious about this. 
We can do this. Youth leaders and youth pastors, we can do this, right? Because of Jesus. And we do it, why? Because we're afraid that if we don't, he'll get mad. No, because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. God, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you've done over a weekend. And we pray that as we go down the hill, it would not stop. That Jesus, we would not think of this place as the place where we get to meet God. We would just realize that this is a place where we get to meet God. And we get to go home and we get to spend time with you and be in the word and be in prayer and get to meet with you because it's not about the location, it's about you. And now, Father, for those of us who are standing saying we want to be all in, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us all boldness, dripping in grace, to love people well. We pray that people would come to know Jesus and become disciples who become disciple makers. God, revive us. May there be a revival that changes everything. We commit ourselves to your cause. And thank you that you're with us in all of it. In all that happens, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Love